Welcome to the 30 to Life podcast, where we break stereotypes, build legacies, and help others along the way. It's your boy, Mookie. And your favorite color in the world, brown. Uh, We just want to thank the listeners for tuning in for another week. We thank you for all of your support. Make sure you hit that subscribe button and make sure that you check out our website, 30tolifepod.com for all and everything 30 to life today we have an amazing episode for you today um we have something special right we, we just hit one year for the podcast so we wanted to make sure that you know we came with the gems we came with the knowledge we came with you know industry insiders um executives and today we have benny pew on the episode uh he has over 30 years of experience in the mu- music industry uh he has a real estate business where you know he has over 100 units in terms of uh, real estate investing. And he also is the CEO of Diverse Media. And today he's going to talk about a lot of great things, a lot of gems, um, a lot of uh, upcoming ventures that he has going on and really just his time as an executive, right? And things that you can learn from it, you know, how to, you know, just move throughout corporate America, how to succeed, how to build wealth, how to just pivot throughout your career and, and try new things. And, and really ultimately just, you know, becoming the best version of yourself is, is so important. So uh, with that, I want to just thank you, Benny, for coming on. What's going on? What's up, guys? Listen, first and foremost, I want to say thank you for having me here. Uh, this is this is really exciting. Um, I'm, I'm very, very um, thoughtful about how I um, actually have conversations with folks. And I've been watching you guys for a while. And I think what's really important for you to take notice and, and be very thankful of is that one year and no one should take that lightly that you've been doing and grinding and pursuing and moving forward for an entire year. And if you think of just about evolution after a year is when children start to walk. So this is definitely an important time for you guys to stand up and really let your voices be heard and move forward. You already <laughs> dro- you already dropping gems already. Oh my God. Did, did you hear what he said? He said, he said one year a baby starts walking, right? And yeah. we hit one year. So we're about to start walking. I mean, I'm trying to fly, but you know, I take, I'll take, I'll take walking. I'll take walking. Yeah. I'll take walking for a little bit. And then we got to run. Then we got to fly. I mean, well, you advance and you think, I mean, you advance, man. Like, you know, kids not, not relating, just staying, just, just staying in the analogy, just realize, you know, the kids all do different things at different times. You know, I had a child that walked at nine months. I had a child that walked at a year and realized that once, once you start, that's where the excitement happens. That's where the motivation comes to explore and to see and move forward and wanted to experiment. And that's where you guys are now and what you set your mind towards. So go and get it, stand up, run. Tell us, tell us a little bit about yourself. Like, you know, tell us, tell us, tell the listeners who you are so they can get a better picture of Mr. Benny Pugh. Humble beginnings. Born in White Plains, New York. Actually, I was born in Valhalla Hospital. That might be too much information for the internet. Now people can go get my information. But born and raised in um, White Plains, uh, came up in a very modest, modest upbringing. You know, it was interesting. I was having a conversation with some friends of mine and as black folks, you know, we always looked at what other people had and evaluated ourselves on whether, you know, you had a new car, whether you had a big house, whether your parents took you on vacation, how big, you know, how long did you stay on vacation? 
And those things was the moniker for us to realize what class we fit in. But as I got older and I looked back in life, um, I think we said we were upper lower class, like, you know, when the <laughs> upper lower class, just think about that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, because we knew we wasn't middle class, definitely wasn't rich folks, but we didn't want to be lower class. So we were upper lower class. And that says a lot about how we perceive our perceive ourselves um, and how we measure ourselves. And and what I say to people moving forward in life is, you know, your journey is what's going to dictate what's most important for you and how you move. But um, who am I? Um, I'm a I'm a father. I'm a husband. I'm a Christian. I'm a businessman. I'm an entrepreneur. And uh, I've lived an amazing life to this point of just being authentically who I am. And that's just walking and talking my talk and living my life and realizing that what's most important is everyone that I touch and how I move. I um, started in the um, music business is probably what's most intriguing for people three decades ago as an intern at Motown Records. And it was really interesting how I got to Motown because I really had no aspirations in, in as most people in seeking the music business. Actually, the business found me. Uh, I was a stand-up comic at uh, St. John's University while I was in St. John's University. And what was interesting was one of the shows uh, that I was booked for, the uh, local promoter for Motown Records who booked me for that show asked me if um, I wanted to be her intern at the end. And that was um, my opening to actually um, making my move into music. And what was exciting about that, once I got down to Motown Records, now realize before Motown, I worked as as many sales jobs as possible. Uh, I did door-to-door sales, um, selling cutlery. I worked for Citibank, selling their their, um, financial products, uh, as, as well as I drove limousines and and did uh, facsimile machines, fax machines, and a host of, of, of a whole lot of other different things um, along the way. But at Motown, it was the opportunity for me to now um, visit a non-traditional product, which was music and people. And it was interesting once I got down there uh, for the interview that uh, I came prepared for what I was always prepared for in the interview is my uniform. And my uniform back then was a three-piece suit, uh, wingtips, and anti-shea case. But as you guys know, in hip-hop or in music, right, culture um, probably wasn't the best look, (laughs) right? But it was uh, my look. Uh, And I realized that um, at that point that the music business was a different kind of nuanced business. Uh, I started uh, as a college intern and um, had the opportunity to, for the lady that I was working for, she had me processing her t and Now, needless to say, um, at that time, I had no idea what the t and travel and expenses were. And um, she had me reconciling her paperwork doing all the things um, to make sure her finances were straight and sheepishly not asking what T&E was, um, was like, you know, I thought it was her check that was coming in. It was like, you know, miss, I'm, I'm not comfortable like viewing your check um, doing this stuff. And she was like, no, baby, it's not my check. 
what it is, is, is my expenses. And I was like, well, what's an expense? And she explained it to me. She said, we go out and we eat every drink, you know, my airfare, my travel, um, my car note, um, my insurance, the uh, company pays for. I was like, really? She's like, yes. And that's when I fell in love with the business of music. <laughs> well, I would have fell in love too. So, <laughs> you, you started off in the music industry, but you seem like a, you, like you a hustler. Like you've been, you've been hustling. And, and when I say hustling, I don't mean like hustling, like drugs. I mean, like you've been hustling in the sense of you've been working hard and, and just been trying to grind your way through. And, you know, until you finally just, like you said, got up and walked and everything kind of flourished. How did you, how did you, I guess, get the, the fortitude to, to, to just stay in that grind mode all the time? Because it's, it's exhausting. Like I was telling you earlier, like I'm up all day and I'm just tired and, you know, having a family and, and just having all the other responsibilities of, of just life. You know, how did you just maintain that fortitude to just continue to hustle like that? So there's two things. And I love the fact that you, you, you pull back and you caught yourself with the hustle. And I think as black folks, we have to remove that out of our vocabulary because it is a negative connotation, right? Hustling for black folks, because you have to think um, our counterparts never use that word, only black folks. And, and the only way why we, we know of this is because we know the underworld that connects with the hustle, right? We just work hard. And, and ultimately, we're rooted in and doctrine, we're rooted in faith, and we, we're resilient people. So we push ourselves every single day because we know that if we don't, you're only going to be below average. Because to be average, you have to work super hard. You almost have to be, you know, a superhero in order to 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 compete in in today's climate. So I think it's important for us to realize there's nothing negative about us saying you know what? I work hard. I push myself. I go beyond the limitations as opposed to I hustle. And, and this is not um, directed at you, but I think as you guys having a major platform and being a part of culture and, and youth generation, it's important for people to realize the value of what you do. You're up at four in the morning and you still doing this with me at this hour. That's not hustling. That's working. Right. That's having a vision. That's having a goal. That's having, you know, realizing what your exit is in the exit is. I want to be able to provide from not only myself, we always include our family, our children. Right. And everybody else who comes along the way that brings value into our lives. So think of that that way. Um, how I do it is, is simple. Uh, I've always, you know, I came from, as I said earlier, modest beginners. My mother has a was a. a is um, very spiritually grounded and and religion played a a big part because it was a root foundation for me in understanding the value, right? If you think about the stories of, and and what the word is, right? Regardless of what you subscribe to, whether you're Christian, whether you're Muslim or whether you're Jewish, right? Those books give you root and foundation and order on how you proceed in your life. And for me, it was always about, you know, waking up doing the best beyond the best that I could do. And every day that I woke, that I wake up, that's what I do. 
I look at doing my exact best for from the time I open my eyes to the time I close them. I never wake up and I never dreamed about being rich. I never dreamed about, you know, having more than my friends or more to exceeding my father or exceeding, uh, um, you know, a celebrity. I only thought about like, you know what, if I do my best and I give my best, I can only get the best. And that's how I move. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And, um, you know, one one of the quotes that you that you say um, that you said previously was you can't keep reading the chapter you love. You'll never get through the book. And as you were telling your story, it, it resonated with me because you, you you stated that you started in stand up and then you transitioned to music. Um, tell us a little bit in terms of like that transition and, you know, what were some of the things that you did to put yourself in a position of success? So getting into music and falling in love with music opened my doors and realizing that music being a non-traditional product, I was a salesman. So music is, was the next level or the next experience for me selling a product. And how does, what does that mean? Uh, Working for a record label. And for me, um, I was a specialist in radio promotions and that's how I cut my bones in music was, was having the opportunity to give uh, artists on the radio, which was the concentrated medium of making artists, superstars, radio back in the day and even current day is a powerful medium in, in exploiting artists, um, potential, um, not only on a, on, on a local level, but on a global level. So that opened the doors for me to see like, wow, this is, this isn't, this is crazy how you can make somebody from being a nobody from zero to 12 weeks. And that means you put them through the system, you expose them to the masses. And if they respond, wow, bam. And now it's, if you think about it in, in this, in this hyper digital age, a star is made in, in seconds, someone goes viral. They are now on a star. That doesn't mean they're talented. That means they're a star because um, the population has now been attracted and responded to what they put out. Doesn't make you um, talented. It just makes you popular. So for me, it was um, uh, an eye-opening experience looking at this non-traditional product and realizing like, you know what, I can really excel at this. And then moving from Motown Records uh, as the regional director of promotions, had an opportunity to go work for Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis uh, at Perspective Records, which they were the people who did all of the Janet Jackson um, albums. And then from there, I went on to work at Arista, which was the Rolls Royce of the record business and was a part of um, uh, uh, some of the incredible repertoire and artists there. Uh, Goody Mob, which CeeLo Green came out of, Outkast, Usher, obviously, you know, Whitney Houston was there, Tony Braxton, Aretha Franklin, um, uh, to name a few. Um, Monica was the first one ever to put her record on the radio at WCDX in Richmond, Virginia, was the first place her, her music was ever played. Just one of those days, which is, well, is more than just one of them days. There's a lot of days at this point. 
and then moved from there out to the to the West Coast, where I lived on the West Coast for seven years and had the big job, uh, the big corporate job, which I was managing the entire department, uh, promotions department, uh, and had the opportunity and the luxury to be a part of Mary J. Blige, uh, the four albums after the 411, Casey and JoJo, All My Life. Um, Shaggy, It Wasn't Me, uh, Shante Moore, Shante's Got a Man, the Guy Reunion Tour, which was um, all, all super important and important uh, for the label at that time. But what was really exciting is the first time I actually signed an artist, a uh, group out of Atlanta uh, called Feel Mob. And it was, uh, you know, that's what really helped me expand beyond just being one dimensional in the record business, but also getting into the creative aspect of knowing that I could hear music, sign music and promote the music. Came back to the, came back East uh, for Def Jam. Um, and uh, in 2003, and, and that was an amazing run. We had um, some special acts uh, come through there, Rihanna, um, Justin Bieber, Neo, uh, um, Rick Ross, Young Jeezy, uh, just to name a few. And, and the second signing for me, um, which was, which was really impactful was it's a black classic, uh, called Swag Surf, you know, oh. it's the anthem that they play. I signed that. Yeah, oh, I signed, I signed that record as well as uh, Steve Harvey's compilation um, while I was at MCA. I signed that as well. So I gave him his his first deal. Um, wow. uh, signs of things, signs of things to come. So stayed at uh, Def Jam for a while and uh, met L.A. Reid, who by far is is the most incredible um, music executive um, alive or dead, right? Uh, he's he's probably when you think of in the African American sector, Barry Gordy is always paramount. Uh, then there's no question um, who's next. And in the top five of music executives, um, he's there. So I learned a lot. He actually gave me an opportunity to um, learn from him. He mentored me um, in in the business of music is what's changed my life because mentoring is really important. And I think anybody who gets in gets gets an opportunity to get somebody who wants to talk and give and and groom, you should take that and understand like that's a gift mm-hmm. and always tap into that's a gift when somebody wants to give you something for nothing. Make sure you utilize that. And and while we were there, um, as I said, he gave me the opportunity to to sign uh, FLY, which which opened my eyes um, to see what, you know, the power of of once again being not only the the signer, but the promoter of the music and moved on um, to Epic Records after that. And and that's when I really, truly learned the business of music. Uh, while LA was doing television, uh, he gave me the opportunity to once again, um, stay connected with the company and, and uphold, upload him with the information. But along that, he also gave me the, the ability to, um, sign talent again. And now knowing the back office and with my skill of understanding the music and the trends of what's happening, I signed 
uh, cash out, cashing out, riding around with that Nina, right? And uh, wow. Yo Gotti. And most yep. importantly, most notable, my biggest signing in my career was Future. So that wow. was, uh, yeah, that was an, an amazing opportunity. Um, who Future was the first billion streaming artist in Sony music history. So that uh, took me to a whole different level, um, not just being, you know, a department head, not just being an executive, but also now being a music man and understanding all the aspects. And for African-Americans in the music business, you know, these are rare opportunities that we get a full-fledged education of understanding the business because what we you what we the positions that we settle for are positions that are shiny you know things that you can be seen um driving a nice car or you know we fall for the trappings or having a big house or you know having all the fly clothes but we don't really push for you know equality and understanding the business and for me having that opportunity to to get into the business of music was was by far um, one of the best learning experiences uh, that I had. Then I journeyed on to uh, Rock Nation, which um, we put together um, uh, a, a, a distribution model, um, EQ distribution that was there. We put out some, you know, a lot of music during that time period. I think we did maybe 18 releases. And at that point, I realized that for me, it was going to be best for me to journey into what was um, going to be next. I thought about it at, at that point for me that um, I had uh, over the last three decades probably generated a billion dollars in, in, in gross revenue for from the artists that either that our market were part of the marketing or the artists that I signed, but I didn't get 10% of that. Right. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get uh, 1% of that. But in essence, you know, I had a a great life in the music business. The music business paid me. But as we know in life and what you guys are doing now is about ownership. So but I didn't own anything. You know, I have accolades. But what you can't go um, to Home Depot. You can't go to Stop and Shop. You know, you can't go to Ralph's. You know, you can't go to Publix. You can't go to Whole Foods with accolades, accolades. Right. That doesn't mean anything. So ultimately, for me, it's like at this point. I need to bet on myself and go out on my own. And that's when I started Diverse Media, which is a full-fledged distribution uh, company that we uh, do licensing deals so artists can maintain their repertoire, as well as uh, I have an artist signed directly to Diverse who's amazing. Her name is Paris Gatlin. She has um, the vocals and tone of Amy Winehouse. She has the fun and excitement of a Megan trainer. And she's a young African-American girl um, out of Jackson, Mississippi. So super excited. So uh, you were essentially the top of your game in the music industry. Oh, can you talk about why you left the music industry? Like what, what happened? My mom's worked at the um, United States Post Office. And what was important for us and what I saw was my mother had stability and she loved her job. That was most important, but it was stable. And my father being before I even knew, I mean, now we know what entrepreneurs or what the word means, but my father was a true entrepreneur and as well as he was a genius. Like he, he's a guy that could, 
you know, build a house, wire your house. He could build, break down a computer. He could build a car. He's one of those guys who ultimately I refer to him as the black MacGyver kind of, kind of individual and, and realized for me in the music business, uh, every label I left was at the top of my game. So it's not new for me to, to, to decide to move when my work is done, because ultimately I'm not a person uh, or have the desire to retire or be lax. Like I don't, I don't want to be in a situation, nor I choose to be, nor will I allow myself to be complacent. And when in a corporation, at some point, you have to, you know, you have to conform. And ideally, for me, it's it's exciting on the climb and the drive and the hustle and the building of of moving up and growing the company and growing the executives and seeing the vision and moving the vision. And when as long as the vision is still moving forward, then I'm there. Once it's stagnant, no matter what it is in life, I got to move on because I can't waste my time. So that's why I decided to move out on my own. Yeah, no, that that makes a lot of sense. You being, you know, a a serial entrepreneur and, you know, having, you know, a lot of ventures and and the journey that you had, you know, everything you did led up to to this point to, you know, start your own venture and, you know, really have, you know, ownership. So um, I actually want to pivot and move back to some of the things that you talked about, um, really like being an executive um, as as someone who's black. Right. Um, a lot of our listeners work in corporate America and, you know, really just made me think of, you know, like like best practices or like gems that you learned, you know, while navigating through corporate America, because it's much different than, you know, owning your own business or, you know, um, having like a 1099 type of job. It's really, you know, you have to learn how to navigate and understand the culture of corporate America. So can you talk a little bit about that? I would. I would I would be remiss to say that uh, corporate training was not valuable for me. And I recommend for anyone it's it's there's a different walk for all of us. There are people who are going to go into corporations and they're going to live there and that's going to be their opportunity to make change. And then there are going to be people on the outside who are going to live in that space and realize that that's going to be their opportunity to make change. And then there's hybrid folks, right? Um, that either started a corporation and then wind up being entrepreneurs or started an entrepreneur and then finish it being um, uh, corporate. And neither is wrong. It's what's best for you. So I think um, in the journey, you have to see the exit and what's important. And for me, as I talk about, I talk in, I have a book coming out called On Impact. I talk about it in my book, it's two plan eights. So for me, while I was in the record business, when I first started, I realized that there were no salt and pepper hair black men um, in the business over 50. So at that point, I decided that I couldn't uh, allow myself not to prepare for my exit um, uh, at the end of this ride. So that's when I decided to invest in real estate. So while I was 
working at the corporate level from day one and every bonus I received, um, every opportunity and increases I, I, I saved. And I used all of that to just buy properties every single time, every dollar. That was my plan for two decades. And that ultimately the payoff of me was at the maximum of, 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 of my journey was owning 130 doors, um, to now honing a um, hundred doors. And, and that was in um, all due because I realized that there wasn't going to be a celebration for me uh, in the business for music with the gold watch, 30 years of dedication as my mom received, that wasn't gonna happen. And for most entrepreneurs, you realize that's not gonna happen. So for preparing for yourself, um, is what's going to be most important and realizing um, your earning years when you're making your most income is when you should be saving your most income or realizing that reinvesting is going to be your savings because you've already looked at how it exponentially is going to grow over the years to come. That's, yeah. that's amazing uh, that, you know, you had like the, the, the idea or the thought to invest you know, this money, right. Going and becoming an executive. And, you know, there's a lot of bonuses. There are a lot of perks that you have. And, and, you know, you had, you know, the, the discipline to take some of that money and invest it. Right. Uh, tell us a little bit, how'd you, you know, learn to get into investing? Like what, like inspired you to start doing that? Man. So it started with, as, as you indicated, saving, so when I was uh, five years old, my mother, she um, instilled in me uh, a real true aspect of realizing the value of being in control of your money. So we had piggy banks, of course, but my mother took it to another level. Uh, there were banks that offered what was called a Christmas club and doing and what a Christmas club was in January, you would start saving for Christmas. So they had different denominations, 50 cents, a dollar, $3, $5, $25, $20, $25. And I think the max might've been $50. So my mother opened me a, a, a dollar Christmas club account. And on Fridays, when she got off work, she and I would walk about a mile from our house to the bank. And obviously I'm five years old, but she would take me through the actual process of seeing her with the stub, tear the stub, take the dollar, give it to the cashier and save the money. So now what does that really mean? Ultimately, you're giving your money to the bank, disciplining yourself to show up every week or whenever you do with those tickets to save the money for what the end goal being to actually spend on people for Christmas or whatever you choose to do. So as I got older, uh, I took on that habit myself and for years started uh, my own Christmas clubs when I got um, of the age of, of being able to maneuver myself. And what it taught me was the value of saving money. And the value of saving money is having the power to do whatever you want. There's a different getting credit and there's a different having cash. Cash is king and cash wins. It just does. You can get credit, but it's not yours. 
cash is king and cash is yours. So that was the early introduction to, you know, being a habitual saver. And then the opportunity for me to start purchasing real estate was instilled in me with my parents. Thank you, thank you, and thank you for listening to part one of our two-part series with Benny Pugh. Tune in next week where we continue to do a deeper dive on his book entitled Impact, all while learning how he continues to navigate through this thing we call life. Thank you, and bye-bye.